encourage you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at chapter 6. And I know I have verses 1 through 44 in there, but that's, we're, we're not going to read all of those verses. We're going to read a, a selection of those verses from Matthew chapter 6. So uh, if you've got your Bible out, we're going to look at beginning in verse 7 and read through verse 13. And then we're going to skip down to verse 30 and read through verse 52. So Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 7, you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. And He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Skipping down to verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass So they sat down in groups, by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is God's word. Please have a seat. You know, as Mark kind of unpacks his gospel, unfolds it, he continues to pull back the veil 
of who Jesus is and what that means for us. Who Jesus is and what that means for us. And those two things really are inseparable. You can't just see who Jesus is without appropriately responding to Him. For if you don't respond to Jesus, the reality is you really haven't seen who He is. They just go hand in hand. To see Jesus is to push you into a very particular kind of response. And by that response, we simply call those people disciples. These are people who have disciplined their lives to follow Jesus. Their lives have been changed because they've seen who Jesus is. So I want to spend some time talking about that this morning. What is the ministry? What does it look like to be a disciple? What is the ministry of a disciple? So we'll look at that as we unpack these verses. And first of all, we see that a disciple is someone who is sent, who was sent out. Now, before we get into this message, we'll talk about what exactly is happening here. They're sent out, and they're going out to proclaim uh, that people ought to repent. And you think, well, where does that come from, to repent? Well, that comes, invites us to go all the way back to the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, to see the very first thing it was that Mark tells us that Jesus was about. And when Jesus came, the first words that Mark records are these, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, that's an important statement to think about because, I, I, you know, in our day and age, when we hear the word gospel, we, we bring to it a certain range of meaning. We tend to think that, well, the gospel is the story of God sending Jesus Christ, His Son, into the world to die on the cross so that sinners who believe in Him can be saved from death and go into heaven and spend eternity with the Lord. That's what we think of when we think of the gospel. And that's true, but it's not the whole gospel, and it's not even the first aspect of the gospel. In fact, we don't get to the cross until the very end of this story. So while it is certainly critical, it is not the primary thing that Mark tells us is the gospel. The gospel is an announcement that the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the message that the, the, uh, the disciples are sent out to, uh, uh, to share with the people. And as a result of that, what is the appropriate response to the reality that the kingdom of God is at hand? Jesus goes on to say that too in Mark 1.15. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this is exactly what the disciples are, are preaching. They're going out telling the people to repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The Son that has been promised, this promised Messiah who would come and lead, you, lead His people out of their oppression, out of their bondage, out of their troubles, is here. And that demands a response. That's what He's saying. It demands a response which He describes as repenting, and believing, to repent and to believe. Now, the word to repent simply means to turn. It implies that they're going in the wrong direction, and somehow they need to turn around and get back on track. You think, well, what direction were they heading in that was wrong? Well, the whole story of the Old Testament is the story of how God brought a people to Himself, met with them on that that famous Mount Sinai with Moses giving them the Ten Commandments and saying, I will be your God, you will be my people. And as a result of that, here is the way that you are to live with me 
as your God. And the story of Israel is the fact that they have not lived the way that God has told them to live, which means they have gone after other gods. They have gone after other ways of living that they think are going to bring them life are going to supply them with their needs. Now, whether they call those gods or not, that's what it means to go and to walk or live in a way other than how God tells us to live. It's to go after some other God that we're looking to, to supply us with life. Now, with the coming of the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, repent, turn away from all those other false ways. I am coming to bring you salvation. But if you're not walking with me, you're not going to find it. So repent, turn away from going your own way and believe. Believe that I am the King who's arrived, that I am the God who will bring you salvation. That's in essence the message of what, he's, of what they're going out to do. So as we look at these disciples and we look at this beginning to be unpacked, they are sent out to share this particular message. So we read that passage, and He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So we see, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, the very first thing that Jesus tells them is that they are to repent, to turn away from these other things that you've been trusting in to give you life, and to turn towards me and believe that I'm the one who can give it. That's the first thing that we see about a disciple. Now, up until this point in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples have just been following and shadowing Jesus. They've just been with Him, listening to His teaching, thinking perhaps, well, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means literally just to follow where He goes and listen to His teaching. But now we learn it means more than that. He's not just telling you to repent and believe so that you can be still and do nothing. He's calling you to do those things so that He can prepare you to be sent to be commissioned. These disciples in this passage were commissioned. Now you think about, what does the word commission mean? Well, the commission has the word mission in it. It means He's sending them out on a very particular mission to do. And the idea of commission means He's giving them the authority to do that mission. You know, in the Presbyterian church, we like to talk about order, and we, talk, we have what we call committees and commissions. And the distinction is a committee is a group of people who talk about things and a commission is a group of people who has been authorized to not only talk about things, but to take action. A committee just talks about things and brings the information back to the group that has the authority. The commission is the group that talks about things and has already been given the authority to do something. You have been given a commission if you've been following Jesus. That's the idea of what it means to be a disciple. And I say that because I think there is a temptation for us to think that there is those who belong to Jesus, those who have put their faith in Jesus, and then there's a, a, a higher class of people that belong to God who are actually disciples, as though there's just the regular people and then there's the disciples, which we don't find any evidence of that anywhere in the Scriptures. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, it means you've been brought under His tutelage to, to, to see who He is. And once you understand who He is, you have been authorized to go out on a mission. That's your calling. You have been commissioned by the Lord Himself. Now, we look about, we look, let's look at the commission that He's given these disciples. These were, these were a little bit unique. These were the 12 disciples that later became the apostles who were being sent out. And they have a very specific commission. They're to go out, and it says some interesting things that we can derive from it. One, He says, uh, take nothing for your journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Now, that's an interesting instruction. You think, well, what is that all about? Well, in essence, he's saying, don't go back home and, and, and pack. Go as you are. What does that imply? It implies there is some urgency to this commission. There's an urgency to the mission that I'm giving you. Now, we'll talk about what that urgency is in just a minute. But there's also things that we can derive from there. Take no bread, no bag, no money, with you, and whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. There is this expectation that as He sends them on His mission, He will provide for them, perhaps through the people that He is ministering to, they're speaking to, which if you think about the Lord's Prayer and how we are praying and, and think about the section when we say, give us today our daily bread, you think about that's a prayer for one who is on a mission. If, if we want to use the analogy of you're in an army and your army has been deployed, to do something. And you don't think about what you're going to eat. You trust that the supply lines are going to be there to fuel and fill that army. When we begin the Lord's Prayer, how do we begin? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's our mission, to have His name hallowed throughout all the world. What do we say then? Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's our mission. And if we are to be engaged in our mission, we don't need to worry about the other things of the world. In fact, we pray God supply us today our daily bread, not our retirement uh, setup, not a week's worth or a year's worth or the next 10 years' worth, but just supply me enough for today that I can be about your mission. We think about the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. He says, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink, do I? Do you not look at the birds and the, and the flowers of the field and see that they are beautifully dressed and taken care of? How much more does your Father in heaven care for you? He won't let you go hungry. But the idea is to not be concerned about the civilian things, to be concerned about your mission. God will supply your needs as you go. And it is interesting, as you go and you find your needs being supplied, what does that do for you on your mission? It emboldens you. It encourages you. It reinforces the very things that Jesus has been telling you to do. It's like with every step that you may do with a lot of wobbliness at first. You're wobbly on those first few steps. You're not sure about it, not sure if the ground is support you, but as you take another step, you find that that ground is solid. The mission is okay, that God has your back, that He's supplying your needs, that He will take care of you. So you've been sent on a mission, and it's an urgent mission. It's an urgent mission. Now, unique to the disciples is the mission to go into the cities of Israel and proclaim the kingdom of God. That was unique to them. Mark doesn't necessarily bring it out, but if you go read the account in Luke's gospel or Matthew's gospel, you'll find that he talks specifically about how you are to go only to the lost tribes of Israel. There's an urgency to the message that he's giving to the people of Israel. 
And you think, well, why is that? Well, Jesus knows something is coming in that generation that was going to wipe out the people of Israel. Uh, the Roman army was going to march in 70 AD. It was going to destroy the temple. It was going to wipe out the people in the land. There would be so much bloodshed that the blood would be flowing like rivers in the streets of Jerusalem. Jesus knows this judgment of God is coming. Their time is coming to a close. Their window is about to shut for seeing Him as their King. So there is an urgency to go to the lost tribes of Israel, to the people of the land, and share this message specifically for them. And what do they do when they don't receive the message? That's another thing that helps us see the urgency. If you go into a town and they will not receive your message, what are you to do when you leave? Shake the dust off your feet. Why? As a testimony against them. Now, the Jewish people would have understood what that means because they practiced the shaking of the dust off their feet. When they, when they entered a Gentile area and came back into the Jewish land, they would shake the dust from that heathen land, that unbelieving, unclean land from their feet. So, if you saw these people sent out by Jesus coming to your Jewish city, and when they leave, they're shaking the dust off their feet, what are they saying about your city? This city is unclean. Why? Because they have rejected their king. You know, when the actual destruction of Jerusalem came, you know, Jesus, later we're going to read this, He gave instructions to the people, when you see these things happening, flee to the hills. And of course, the logical thing to do is to go behind the walls that are supposed to protect you. Jerusalem was a city with walls meant to protect the people when the enemies would come. So those who listened to Jesus didn't go behind the walls. Those who didn't listen to Jesus went behind the walls. Those who went behind the walls, what happened to them? They were destroyed. What happened to those who listened to Jesus and fled instead to the hills? They were saved. There's an urgency to the message the disciples had commissioned to go and tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent now and put your faith in Jesus. Believe that He is the King. Now, we have a commission too. It's not quite the same. We're not supposed to go to the lost tribes of Israel. And of course, that was a temporary thing. The door would, would close in 70 AD on the nation of Israel. But we have, a, we have also a commission I mean, we see that at the very end of the gospel after Jesus has been resurrected and upon right before His ascension into heaven, we call it the Great Commission. He tells, he tells His disciples to do what? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. For I am with you always to the very end of the age. And He says that by first saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I am commissioning you I'm authorizing you, I'm empowering you to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom to all the nations. Because guess what? They're also going to have a time when the window is going to close, and the time is up. It's why you see places in Scripture that says, today, if you hear His voice, listen, because there will be a day coming when you won't hear His voice anymore. It will be past the time to turn and to turn away, to repent. And believe, for the judgment of God will come. And in the meantime, we are His commissioned people to go out into all the world and to gather in those who are His elect. How? By proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, if you think about how you do that, 
is to realize that you are unique as one of God's disciples, if your faith is in Him, and where God has put you. He's put you in a unique place. He's put you with a unique set of experiences that have you overlapping with a unique sphere of people, whether it's your coworkers or it's the neighbors that live next door on either side or behind you or across the street, or it's the various circle, uh, social circles or civic circles that you've been involved in. You are getting to know people, and you have opportunity within those specific spheres to be a, a witness of the work of God before them. And by the way, that's what they were sent out. They were sent out two by two. You think, why two by two? Well, it was customary that anytime you wanted to establish a claim that you were making, you would have two witnesses to verify it. So they were going out as witnesses that we have seen Jesus is the King. You are going out to, to testify to what God has done for you. That's the passage that, uh, that Alan was preaching on last week to the demoniac. When he was saved, Jesus told him, I want you to go into the towns and tell them what God has done for you. That was giving their personal evidence, testimony, how do I know the kingdom of God has come? Here's my evidence. This is what it's done for me. We've been for several years trying to practice that whole blessed strategy, whereas you think about the people that God has put in your sphere of influence, you are very consciously trying to find ways to connect with them. So first of all, you're just beginning, the B, with prayer, praying for them, praying that God would open doors to speak with them, to get to know them, to be a blessing to them. Which, by the way, that's what the disciples were going to do. They weren't just going to proclaim the message, they were also going to cast out demons and heal the sick. In other words, to bring blessing. Now, we, while we might not have those necessarily give the same gifts of healing people or casting out demons, we certainly have been given the ability to bring a blessing to other people by identifying the needs that they may have. So, we begin with prayer. We learn how to listen to them as we take time to eat together with them, whether that's inviting them over to your house, whether it's meeting them at a restaurant, but just taking time to be with them, to talk about life, and to listen to them. And as people tell you about their life, long enough you will find ways in which they have needs that you can serve. And as you nurture that relationship, we trust that God will show us parallels between our lives and theirs so that when we can share what God has done for us, it can be a blessing to them. So the blessing is how we ourselves, we each as individuals in this room can work out that commissioning of discipleship that Jesus has given us for the nations. So there is, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be sent out, to be commissioned. But the second thing it means which is why we continue to read in this passage, is that you uniquely, as a disciple, get to have your eyes open to see Jesus. And I don't want to underestimate this point. In fact, I think this is really the hallmark of the passage. As we move on in the story, the disciples have gone out, they've been proclaiming the kingdom, they've been healing people of their diseases, casting out demons, and now they're returning to Jesus in verse 30, and they're telling, they're sharing with Him what they've, what they've done. Now, the other gospel writers expound a little bit more on how excited they are, and Jesus recognizes this. This has been hard work. It's hard work to be involved in the commission of Jesus. So, He takes them out for a little R&R. &R. We're going to go across the other side of the lake, 
This is against Sea of Galilee still, where, where it's more desolate, where the crowds can't follow us. Well, they do follow you, where the crowds aren't at the moment. And as they take off, and if you, as you picture the lake, if they're, if they're at the top and they're going from this edge to this edge, the people see where they're going, they figure it out, and they run ahead of them. And so when they get to the land, their crowd is already back, is already there. Instead of getting the R&R that they need, Jesus says He has compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so He begins to teach them. And as He's teaching them, you can imagine what the disciples are going through their minds and say, hey, this is a really desolate place. It's getting late. These people need to get home. They need to get some food. They need to find a village where they can go buy food. We don't have anything to give them. And they tell Jesus this, and He looks at them and He says, well, you give them something to eat. By the way, this is another ministry of the disciples, that we are to feed God's sheep. You give them something to eat, and they look in their pockets and they say, what on earth are we supposed to give them? Are we supposed to take all the money that we've collected over the past how many years and go spend it all to buy food for them to have for one meal? Jesus asked them, well, look around, see what you have. They find a few loaves, a few fish. Jesus looks up to heaven and He blesses it. He begins to break it and distribute it. They distribute it to the crowd. And He tells us how many are in the crowd. He tells us there's 5,000 men. Now, whether that means 5,000 people or means only 5,000 men, meaning if you added up the whole total, there could be as many as 20,000 people there. Who knows? It's a lot more than can eat five loaves and two fish is the point. A lot more. (laughs) And they're in the wilderness. And Jesus feeds them. And when they go and they gather what's left, they find 12 baskets full of bread. Now, it is interesting how commentators who don't want to acknowledge the supernatural in the Bible try to explain this passage. It's a little bit difficult. They find some pretty creative ways to do it. You know, one would be that the disciples have stashed it away in a cave and Jesus keeps reaching back secretly and grabbing a piece and putting it out there and stacking it in. Or they would say the miracle is that, you know, they, they, they lifted this bread up as an illustration of what they had and they had everybody else look in your bag, see what you have, and they all shared and that was the miracle of, of sharing. Now, if that were the case, that would completely, completely undermine the entire point that Jesus is making in this passage. But even as He makes this, even as He does this before the people, the disciples don't quite understand what's happening. And so we want to keep reading what they did next. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and He was alone on the land. And He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Now, if you stop there, you'd think, why are we still reading this? But the next verse is the key. It says, For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This passage is connected to the other one. It's helping us see they didn't understand exactly what was happening. I mean, you can derive a lot of ministry principles from, of course, the feeding of the 5,000. They had a little bit to work with, and Jesus somehow multiplies what you have to work with to do much more than you could ever ever imagine it doing. You You can draw that lesson out of it for sure. But I think 
what they were missing is why Jesus was doing this miracle. Why is Jesus feeding people? And what is this reminiscent of, by the way, of the Old Testament? Is there another time in Israel's history where people were fed bread miraculously? Well, yes, of course. When the Israelites were brought out of Israel and they wandered in the wilderness, God supplied them with manna, bread from heaven, as it's called. Now, John, who looks back upon this event and learns what the teaching is in his gospel, he said, he puts in the words of Jesus, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that was sent from heaven. The disciples needed to see that. He is the one that supplies them their, their food, their daily bread. He is their daily bread. It's no wonder that Jesus takes the bread on the Last Supper and says, this is my body. Eat it. In another place in John, He says, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. It was why later in first and second centuries, people accused the Christians of being cannibals because they'd read passages like that and think, what? But the point is that Jesus is who we feed upon. Because who is Jesus? Well, the walking on the water is meant to show us something about that. It's an interesting passage. You think, why, why would Jesus do this? First of all, why did He send them away without Him? I mean, He does it and He goes off to pray on His own, which was not an uncommon thing for Jesus to do. But it is a little strange that He didn't make arrangements for Himself to get wherever they're going because He knew what He was going to do. I'm going to stroll out to him on the water. Now, why would he do that? Again, what parallel does this draw for us to see? And again, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll be familiar with things, for example, like in Job chapter 9, he says, is God who treads on the waters. There is a statement that Jesus is making by choosing to do this, to say, I am God. Now, I know He's been making those kinds of hints all throughout His ministry, but here's one more reaffirmation. Don't you know that I am the bread of life? Don't you know that I am God? And there's one other verse in this that just seems to be so befuddling when you read it, and it's that verse, where is it? In the back half of verse 48, uh, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. You think, what? He meant to pass by them. You mean his original intent was to be on that lake and just to walk across without anyone seeing? He didn't have a boat. He's just going to walk across the lake. No. So why is he saying he meant to pass by them? Was he really meaning to ignore them? For them not to see him? No, I don't think so. That's a That's a pretty intentional phrase, to, He meant to pass by them. Are there times in the Old Testament when God meant to pass by His people? That language is, reminds us of a passage from Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus 33, Moses is talking with God, you know, and he's been leading the people and it's been a daunting task, and he wants to be reaffirmed in who he is. He wants to know who this God is that He's brought Israel to, to, uh, to worship. And He asked God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. 
And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The Lord meant to pass by them, to pass before them. What did that happen? What happened to this? It was a revelation of God's glory. And what does He proclaim as He's passing by? His name, the Lord, Yahweh, which literally is, I am. What does Jesus say as soon as He gets in the boat? Be encouraged, take heart, I am. That's the literal translation. He means to pass by them on the waters as only God treads on the waters as a way of revealing His glory, reassuring them He, in fact, is the very God. This is what a disciple is. A disciple is one who is commissioned and sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God because it is the only way to be rescued from the coming judgment. But it also means you are people who get to have the curtain pulled back and see God. Jesus is the revelation of God. And only as a disciple of Christ do you get to see that. So my question for you this morning is, where are you in your own discipleship? Do you know you're a disciple? Have you accepted the task, the commission of going to your own sphere of influence, praying for them, looking for opportunities to serve them, and sharing your own story of what God has done for you at an appropriate time and way that will help and benefit them. You are the commission means that God is sharing this proclamation with all the nations of the world. It can't be done by just pastors like me or evangelists that we equip and send out. The only way it can be done is if every disciple takes seriously his commission. There's a group in Katy that I know I've told you about that I meet together with a group of pastors that call, call ourselves Christ Together, and we have one mission as this group, that is. As this group, we're getting together as pastors that we can give every man, woman, and child in the city of Katy repeated opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Christ. And we realize that mission is way too big for just our church, Cornerstone. It's way too big for us as pastors. The only way that we can do that is if Christ's church at Cornerstone and Kingsland and the Fellowship and Weston Baptist and Redeemer and all the other ones around take seriously their personal commissions because they have unique spheres of influence in this city that they have been uniquely put in a position to reach. And as we step out in faith, we find our foots get stronger and more sturdy and we get to see Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have called us to be disciples, not just call us to give intellectual assent to some truth, but to be engaged as your loyal subjects, commissioned to go to the world with this good news. Lord, I pray that you would put it on our minds and our hearts to commit ourselves to learning how to do this better every day. In Jesus' name.
Amen.